If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31 verses 1 through 8 is where we will be, and we will get there in a minute. Um, It was 13 years ago, this past Tuesday, September 26, 2004, after having met as a fellowship of Filipino believers and friends on Sunday evenings um, for a number of years, that 26 people covenanted together as the first members of Grace Fellowship Church. That was 13 years ago on Tuesday. Isn't that interesting? So they moved from the Linden area where they had been meeting um, and began to meet in the basement of Beechwood Baptist Church and would do so for the next seven and a half years in Beechwood Baptist. Some of you were there both in Linden and in in Beechwood. Um, It was exactly five and a half years ago today, to the day, on April 1st, 2012, that the then members of Grace Fellowship Church met in the basement of Beechwood Baptist Church for the last time. So uh, the first of the month seems to be when we do, you know, our last meetings, I guess. I don't know. Um, I remember it rained really hard that morning, so we spent the Sunday school hour not doing Sunday school, but bailing water out of the base of the ramp <laughs> where of the space where we met because it was flooding. Uh, our sermon that morning was rooted in John twelve twenty three to 24, where Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So that passage served for us as a call as a church to come to this place and to lay down all that we are to serve one another and to serve this uh, community for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. And having heard that word, we packed up uh, all these blue chairs that are still here. We packed up this pulpit. We packed up the green couch that is still in the nursery. I don't know that that's going to survive this move. I think it may be by the dumpster, um, <laughs> by the dumpster today. <laughs> and amen already. Um, I like that couch. Um, and so do all the kids. I mean, they love it. But, and that refrigerator too is still kicking it in the, in the, in the back. But we moved everything that we owned that day and we brought it all here. Uh, it was an unlikely move, moving from the basement to the second floor of an office building. When I brought Paul, who was one of our elders at the time here, and showed him the space before anything had been done, he said, it's great, I see your vision, but don't show this to anyone else, because no one's going to want to move here. <laughs> and so I didn't, which may have not been a wise pastoral move, but I guess it, it all worked out. Um, our first services here on Bardstown Road were a Good Friday service, and then an Easter service the following Sunday. And so we've had services in this place uh, ever since that day. And not just services, you know, I mean, we've done a lot in here. For three years in a row, we packed this place out, if you can remember, with uh, a Thanksgiving meal. Probably over 100 people the first time that we did that. We've had Christmas parties here. Uh, we've done karaoke here. Uh, some of you have not, but the youth did in this space. We've used it in many different ways. Uh, we've celebrated birthdays and baby showers, a lot of baby showers. <laughs> uh We've rejoiced together. We've mourned together. Some people who were with us when we moved are no longer here, and some people who were not with us when we moved are now here. And so a lot has has changed. I won't delve into that so that I can get through the sermon, but I'll share some other stories with you later if you want. But, uh, we've potlucked here, and we have 
prayed here. And I think that's what marks this place in my mind, beyond just these Sunday morning gatherings, our fellowship and prayer. Uh, right there in our name, Grace Fellowship Church, and prayer has been a heartbeat of this church. That We have sought the Lord's face together, uh, together on Sunday mornings, but also separately. And we have been gathered to encourage uh, one another. With God's help, I think that we have come, and in the past five and a half years, we have laid down our lives, and we have borne fruit in this place. Uh, not of our own good, uh, not of our own doing, but of God's will here in Bonaire, here in the Butchel area, we have uh, done much. And we have a lot that we can look back on and, and celebrate regarding our time in this space. But now it's time to go, um, even if you don't want to. I've uh, I've moved a number of times. I've never been evicted. Kind of feels like that a little bit. We don't really want to leave, but it's time to go. Our move out of beast, out of the basement of Beachwood Baptist was different than this move out of the second floor of Bardstown Road is because when we moved out of Beachwood, we packed our things up there in 2012 and we knew exactly where we go, we were going. Uh, in 2017, we are packing things up and going to a land that is still a mystery to us to some extent. Of course, saying that the, the mystery of our, our final destination, it reminds me of, of Father Abraham who was called by God to, to leave his home and to go to a land that God would show him later. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would be like? He knew it was time to leave, but he didn't know where he was leaving to, and so he believed, and that is why he is called a man of faith. I was reminded, too, of the children of Israel who stepped out of the land of Egypt to go to a land that they had only heard of. Uh, generations had passed in Egypt. They'd never been to Canaan. They'd never seen Canaan. Uh, this was the home that they heard of, but the home that they had never been to. It was just a name, Canaan. You're going to the land of Canaan. Be like me saying, you're going to Narnia, or you're going to Middle Earth. It, it's just, what did that mean to them? They'd never seen it. And as I thought about these forefathers of, our, I was, of ours, I was taken back to that theme that we ended with last week. The theme of, of God's presence with and among his people wherever they go. So as we move out today, I thought it would be good to rest on that theme just a little bit longer uh, and have that be something that's in our hearts that gives us strength for the days to come. So here's kind of a big idea that I want us to walk away with. I'll say it a couple times because it's a little lengthy, but um, it's this. We can walk into the unknown with confidence and courage when we know that God is with us. We can walk into the unknown with confidence and courage when we know that God is with us. There are many things as individuals and as a church that we do not know. But what we do know is that God will never leave us or forsake us. And so in the unknown, we hold on to what we do know. Never doubt in the darkness what's been revealed to you in the light. And what's been revealed to us in the light is that God is with us so that we can walk into the unknown with confidence and courage when we know that God is with us. The picture that comes to my mind is, is as a father of my children being scared of going certain places. We never had a basement. We have a basement now. And as with all basements, kids don't want to go in the basement by themselves. And ours is a really bright basement. I mean, I had a basement in my old house. We had a, you know, had a whole room in the back that I always thought something was back there. Um, but they will go if I go. 
If I go with them, if my presence is near them, then they have nothing to fear. They have confidence and they have courage because I'm with them. And that's the picture I get. And we can walk into the unknown. We can walk into darkness and uncertainty with confidence and courage because we know that God is with us. The book of Exodus, I want to walk a little bit through Israel's history before we get here to Deuteronomy, but the book of Exodus opens with the Israelites in slavery in Egypt crying out to God for deliverance. They are broken by their years of bondage and hope is in short supply, but still they are praying. They're asking God to deliver them. And at the end of Exodus 2, we find this verse that says that their cry for rescue had come up to God. It's a beautiful verse. It says that God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He saw the people, and he knew. What a, a great encouragement in any trouble. And even for us now to know that God hears us, he sees us, he knows our needs, and he remembers all of his promises. I think sometimes we feel invisible, not just to God, but to everyone. You just feel like no one knows what I feel. No one hears. No one understands the cries of my heart. No one truly knows me. We've all been there. We may have been there this week. But I'm encouraged that God does, that our Creator knows. In Christ, we can know that Jesus understands all the different ways that we feel, that He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, Hebrews says. That He sympathizes with us. He knows what it means to wander. Jesus knows what it means to not have a home. Jesus knows what it means to feel rejected. And so the psalmist rightly calls us, he says, to pour out our hearts before the Father because God is a refuge for us. A refuge. He's a place to hide, to, to seek shelter. Even when we have nowhere to go, God is the place that we can go to. And again, Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace, knowing that we will find something. We will find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. But God not only hears and sees and knows and remembers, but God acts. God does something. He calls Moses to lead his people. God moves, and the way that he moves is to move in the heart of Moses. And he calls Moses. And he calls Moses to lead the people, and then he lets Israel and Egypt know exactly who he is, and he does it through these ten plagues. Finally, until Pharaoh throws the people out of the land. And even before they cross the Red Sea, if you look at the narrative, even before they cross the Red Sea, after that final plague, we find at the end of Exodus 13 these words. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The moment their feet set out on the journey to Canaan, a journey that would take much longer than any of them expected, a journey that most of them would not complete, the moment that they set out from the very beginning, beginning God manifested his presence to them in a very visible way, this cloud by day and a, and a fire by night. He said with the cloud and the fire that he had not delivered them simply to, to be a people in a place other than Egypt. No, he had, he had delivered them to be his people, that he would dwell with them, that he would be with them. This, the, the presence of God, this is what God's people were longing for. It's what's going to give them confidence and courage in every part of the journey. It's what's going to give us confidence and courage, is the presence of God. 
Of course, we know that Israel rebelled against the Lord, just like we all do. And soon after he'd manifested that presence, Moses is on the mountain, engulfed in God's presence, receiving the word of the Lord, and the children of Israel are busy building an idol. And following that whole event, the Lord speaks to Moses, and he says that Moses can go ahead and lead the people to the land, but he, God, will not go with them, lest he consume them on the way in his anger. They would have the land, God says. You can have the, this blessing, but you will not have my presence. What would you say to that option? Have the blessing of God, but not his presence. You can have everything that he wants to give us. You can have heaven itself, but God won't be there, if that's possible. <laughs> well, Moses intercedes for the people because he knows something. He knows that there is no blessing in the land of promise if God is not there with them. So he says this in Exodus 33, 15-16. He says to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses knew that it was God's presence that made them unique, and so he pleads with God until he says that he will go with them. This all happens kind of smack dab in the middle of the book of Exodus where Moses is receiving plans for the tabernacle. And we find that the presence of God is a key part of the tabernacle. It's built and set amongst the twelve tribes to signify that, that God was in their midst. They were to set up all around the tabernacle and God was always to be in the center. And at the very end of, of the book of Exodus, after everything had been completed, as the Lord had said, we're told this, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That, in fact, was one of the key purposes of that tabernacle. It was God's dwelling place among his people. And so the tabernacle, which was that, that mobile place, wouldn't it be nice if this place was mobile? We just sort of pack it up and take it with us wherever we want. Such was the tabernacle. And it was that way so that the, the Israelites could take God, as it were, with them wherever they went. So they would pack up the tabernacle, and God went with them. And the cloud and the fire continued with the people throughout all of their journeys and all their wanderings. It would lead them day and night because God was leading them. God was with them. And it went wherever they went, all the way up until it led them to the plains of Moab, just outside of the Promised Land. And it was there that Moses proclaimed all the words in the book of Deuteronomy to prepare the children of Israel to enter into that promised land. And it's some of those words that I want us to look at this morning. Israel's there on the plains of Moab, looking into the promised land. And Moses says this to them in Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 through 8. It says in God's word, So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, You shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you, so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head, as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you 
or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I want to offer you four thoughts from these verses as we root ourselves in this truth that we can walk into the unknown with confidence and courage when we know that God is with us. First thought, God's presence matters more than anyone else's. God's presence matters more than anyone else's. Moses was a rock to the people of Israel. Uh, Moses was obviously far from perfect. And part of his disobedience is the reason that he did not enter into the promised land. But but he did humbly lead God's people. And they were not easy to lead, if you read the, the story about them. But he, with Aaron at his side, spoke for God to the people. He, he led them out of the, the land of Egypt. That was such a key part of their history. And throughout all their wilderness, wilderness wanderings, it was Moses who was at the head. In many ways, Moses was Israel. If there was a poster for the children of Israel, Moses would be on it for sure, because he was the man. He was the guy who led. And now as you look at these verses, he says to them, here at the end he says, the Lord's told me, I'm not coming with you. I will not be there. It'd be like the owner of a company, or or maybe your boss leaves, and, and the company doesn't really know what to do. Or maybe a sports team, it could be the quarterback, or the team captain quits, or maybe for some reason the coach is gone. And no one knows what to do. Everyone struggles. What's the identity? Because that individual was the company. That person was the team. Maybe it's more like a family member. Someone who who looms large in a family. And that person is gone for whatever reason through death or through moving. and, And the family struggles to know what do we do now. I think that's what God's people are asking. How can we be Israel without Moses? We would miss the point if we rushed too quickly to say that, well, Joshua is going to take Moses' place as the leader of Israel. That's true, and we'll see that. But I think what's more important is to look at verse 3 and to look at what Moses says. He says, the Lord has said, I'm not coming with you. You shall not go over this Jordan. And then verse 3, the Lord God, your, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over your head as the Lord has spoken. It was never about Moses to begin with. It was never about Moses. And it won't be about Joshua. And it won't be about Samuel. And it won't be about Saul. And it won't be about David. It's never about them. It's not about the prophets. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the elders. It's not about any other leader or any other member of the church. God's people are led by God. And they find their victory through his hand. And they find identity through his presence. What makes God's people God's people is God's presence. Not the presence of any other individual. A lot of people have gone out from this place. A lot of leaders have gone out from this place. In fact, by my count, only four of the original 26 charter members are still in this place. But we are not defined by a person's presence because God's presence matters more than anyone else's. And if God is with us, 
who can be against us. If God truly is with us as his people, then we can walk into uncertainty with confidence, even if no one else is there. We don't walk into with confidence because of any earthly leader, but because God is our king. He guides our steps. He's the one that, that fights our battles. That sort of leads into the next thought. So the first is that God's presence matters more than anyone else's, but also God's presence kills fear and brings confidence. God's presence kills fear and brings confidence. To both the people as a whole and then to Joshua in particular, Moses says, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid. He says it to the people there in those first six verses. And then you see this picture where Moses brings Joshua in front of everyone else. So all of Israel is gathered, and Moses says, Joshua, come here. And Moses then has a conversation with Joshua and says, Joshua, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Be strong. And the question is, why? Why would you be courageous and strong? Where's that courage going to come from? And and why should I not be afraid, Moses? Why should we not be afraid, Moses? Because the Canaanites are pretty scary. Last I remember when we sent the spies, everyone said they're huge and we're not going in there. Well, except for Joshua. Maybe that's why he was still around, though. But the Canaanites were scary and the future was anything but certain. They had no idea what was going to happen. And life is scary. Life is hard. Life is uncertain. What does the huge, what, is, what does the future hold for any of us? This whole idea of some sort of five-year plan. How ridiculous is that? I don't have a five-minute plan. I don't know what's going to happen. If we think too long on it, we could decide that we're just never going to step out of the door. And some people are paralyzed by fear because we never know what's going to happen. Sometimes we don't want to move forward. Sometimes we don't move forward. Sometimes it's all a little too hard. It's too scary. It's too risky. Too mysterious. And so some well-meaning person comes up to us, maybe as an individual, maybe as a church even, and says, don't be scared. Be strong, courageous. And we say, why? Why should we be strong and courageous? Why shouldn't we be afraid? And their response is, well, because everything is going to work out. It's all going to be okay. Except for when it's not okay. (laughs) What if it doesn't work out? What if it at least doesn't work out the way that we all think it's going to work out? They say it's going to get easier. It'll all be easier. Except for when it's not easier. Except when it actually gets harder. To stand here and say to you when you face difficulty that you should be strong and courageous or to say to us as a church that we should not be afraid and then to give no reason why you should do that is ridiculous. Be strong and courageous just because that's what we should be? That's not going to work. Those are useless words. Courage, strength, and death, though, and, and, and courage, courage, strength, and the death of fear are commanded here. Why? What's he say? Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Why? For, because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Same words to Moses. He says that they, he should be courageous, for you shall go with this people. And then in verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be feared or dismayed. Why should we not be afraid? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Go in confidence, Moses says, because God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. You will forsake him, he says later. He tells the Israelites, you will forsake him. Joshua says the same thing at the end of the book of Joshua. 
You are going to forsake God. But God will always sprint down the road. God will always kill the fattened calf when we come. He's always there waiting for us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that presence kills fear and brings confidence. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we do know that whatever comes, God will never forsake his people. And that sort of knowledge kills fear and brings confidence as a church, as an individual. Third thought, God's presence is the final goal of our wandering. God's presence is the final goal of our wandering. For Israel, it was never really about the land, even if they didn't know that. I think they thought it was about the land. How strange that while they were wandering and waiting for their arrival in Canaan, that they always had, in fact, right by them, right with them, what their hearts truly longed for and needed. They always had God's presence with them, loving, protecting, guiding them, being among them as those gathered people. It's not about a building ever. That's not the goal. The goal is God's presence. If the goal is God's presence, then we already have it as God's people. And we taste that now. We taste it through the gift of the Spirit. We taste it through the gift of the church. And in the end, heaven and the kingdom of God are places of everlasting joy and peace, not because of the place that they are, but because of God's presence there. Our great goal is not a place. It is a person. It is God's presence continually with us. That's why you read First Thessalonians 4 and it talks about what's going to happen and how the church will be caught up and all these different things. And it, it summarizes the end goal in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, the end goal of the return of Christ and the gathering of the church by saying that after we meet the Lord in the air, whatever that's going to look like, it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't know what all that front end means necessarily, but I know what that last end means. That once we are caught up with Him, we'll be with Him forever. And that's our hope. That's our heart's desire. We're constantly looking for this this sense of home, this sense of belonging, for for a place of comfort, for a place of, of peace. I think that's why people love fall. I don't know what it is about the fall season, but it, it comes with this longing for some sort of warmth and, and coziness. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but I think there's this longing for for home. And in all of our wanderings, I think what we're looking for is we're looking for God's presence. If we are His people, that's what we long for. He is what our hearts are seeking. He He's what we are looking for when we're trying to find security and peace and, and rest. And His presence is something that comes to us. It's the goal of our wanderings. And it comes to us because of Jesus. So that's that's the final thought that I want to give you. That God's presence is given through Jesus. God's presence is given through Jesus. You remember at the beginning of the Gospels when Jesus is revealed what his name is? He is Emmanuel. And what does that mean? God with us. God with us. In Jesus, God gives us so many wonderful things. But at the core of what God gives us in Christ is Himself. 
himself with us. He comes and he dwells among us. Literally, the word in John means that he tabernacles among us. He lives with us. He lives in God's presence himself, Jesus does, always walking in his ways. And still he's despised and and he's rejected. And even on the cross, in some mysterious way, not sure how else to say it. It says that he is forsaken by God. He's forsaken by God so that we can know through faith in Jesus that we will never be forsaken by God. Jesus dies in our place as our substitute so that we can know the forgiveness of sin so that death itself cannot separate us from God's presence. Jesus promises to return and take us to himself. And Jesus in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his future coming guarantees that we will forever be with the Lord. And even while we wait, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I will send the Comforter. I will send the Spirit. And the Spirit will always be with you. Not like the tabernacle that had to be moved. Not like the temple that was in a certain location, but we become the temple. And God's Spirit is always with us. And while we wait, he gives us that spirit who dwells in us. And he also gives us God's gathered people. So we get this foretaste of what it will be like one day. Not complete, not perfect, but a foretaste of God's presence among his people. And we know that the nearness of God is our good. It's our hope. It's our salvation. So, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? That's a question that Paul asks in Romans 8. After talking about salvation, he says, What shall we say to these things? Let me just let him finish that and answer his own question. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can walk into the unknown with confidence and courage, not some sort of empty confidence and courage, or some sort of confidence and courage rooted in a bumper sticker or a fridge magnet, but we can walk into it knowing that God is with us. His presence matters more than anyone else's. His presence kills fear. It brings courage. His presence is what we really want anyways, and His presence is given to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to celebrate now through the Lord's Supper. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that we've filled this place with many different things, and one of them has been the Lord's Supper. At least once a month we have broken bread and we have passed the cup and we have remembered the Lord's death, remembered that it is the finished work of Jesus that we find life in 
and that faith in him is what unites us. Our first gathering here was a Good Friday service. So, one of the first things that we ever did in this place was to take the Lord's Supper. I can remember thinking, I wish that the first service we had here was a Sunday morning service. But now looking back on it, it makes total sense that we would start our time here with a Good Friday service and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So how appropriate that the last act, at least one of them, besides moving out, that we perform as a church in this place is to share the Lord's Supper together. And as we do it, we are proclaiming things, two in particular that come to mind at this moment. We proclaim that life is found in Christ alone, that he alone is the hope of our salvation, that his body was broken because of our sin, that his blood was shed for our forgiveness. His death is our death. His life is our life. And we also proclaim that our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ is ultimately found in that common faith. We take this meal together. You don't take it in the privacy of your own home. We take it here as a church. And we take it to together announce that what makes us one is our common faith in Jesus. And that common belief, that commitment to one another is what makes us the church. And so we celebrate that each time we take this meal. We celebrate, we proclaim that life is found in Christ alone. And we proclaim that our unity is found in Christ alone.